You know, we're in a verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis, and last week we followed Jacob as he fled from his brother Esau after he had stolen Esau's blessing. And if you missed that message, I want to urge you to get the CD or to go online and download the message and catch up with us. But this week we're going to move on. And there was something last week in the story of Jacob fleeing from Esau that I wanted to have time to talk to you about, but I just didn't. And so we're going to go back and talk about it this week. So are you ready to do that? And we'll talk about what difference it makes in our lives. So we're back in Genesis chapter 28, and we're going to read a couple of the verses we read last week. Verse 10. Then Jacob left Beersheba and set out for the city of Haran. Let's show you a map, and you'll see that Beersheba is in the very southern part of the land of Canaan, and Haran is in the very northern part of Mesopotamia. Haran was the hometown of Rebekah, his mother, and that's where she told him to run to, to see her relatives, and that's the journey that he's taking. Verse 11, and he came to a certain place where he stopped for the night. And he took one of the stones of the place, and he put it under his head, and he lay down to sleep. And he had a dream in which he saw a ladder resting on earth with the top reaching into heaven. And the angels were going up and coming down on it. Now, this is what we want to talk about today. We want to talk about angels. A recent survey by the Associated Press tells us that 77% of Americans believe in angels, and they should, because the Bible mentions angels 273 times. And so what I want us to do as we begin is to go through some very rapid-fire questions and learn a little bit about angels. Number one, do people become angels after they die? Well, the Bible says no that angels are not glorified human beings, but they are a separate class of heavenly creatures altogether. Number two, well, where did angels come from? The Bible says they were created by God. Psalm 148 says, praise the Lord, all you his angels, let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. Number three, what kind of beings are angels? Well, the Bible says they are spiritual beings who never die. Luke chapter 20 tells us that. And therefore, they never reproduce. Matthew 22 tells us that. Number four, do angels have bodies? Well, the Bible says, Hebrews 1.14, that they are ministering spirits and do not have physical bodies. However, in the Bible, we see that angels can take on the appearance of men and women when the occasion calls for it. I mean, you may remember in Genesis chapter 19, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, verse 1 says that two angels showed up in the town of Sodom, and yet the people of Sodom just saw them as normal everyday men. That's what they look like. Number five, how many angels are there? Well, the Bible never tells us for sure, but there's a lot. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 22, you've come to the heavenly Jerusalem and to 10,000s upon 10,000s of angels. That's a lot of angels. Number six, are there any limits to the powers that angels have? 
Well, the Bible says, yes, indeed. The Bible says that angels are not omniscient, that is, all-knowing. Jesus said, for example, regarding the second coming, Matthew 24, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. So they don't know everything. They are not omnipotent. Second of all, meaning all-powerful, in Daniel chapter 10, an angel says to Daniel, I was sent to you, but the prince of Persia, an evil angel, we'll talk about him in a minute, prevented me from getting to you till Michael the archangel came to help me. So obviously Daniel's angel was not omnipotent because he couldn't even beat this uh, demonic angel by himself. And third, angels are not omnipresent. That means they're not all places at all times. That angel that was coming to Daniel couldn't get to Daniel because he was held up by this demonic angel, meaning that angel couldn't be in two places at once. So, angels are not omnipresent. They're not omniscient. They're not omnipotent, but that doesn't mean that they aren't extremely powerful. Friends, just remember what two angels did to the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Just two. Number seven, what do angels do? Well, the Bible says they carry out God's orders. Psalm 103 verse 20 says, Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his commands and obey his voice. Number eight. Are all angels good angels? Well, the Bible says no. The Bible says all angels started off being good angels, but some of them followed the mighty angel Lucifer, whom we know today as Satan or the devil, in his foul revolt, as John Milton says in Paradise Lost, against God, and God ejected them, Satan and his angels, from heaven. You can read all about this in Isaiah 14, in Ezekiel 28, and in Revelation chapter 12. And finally, are demons and these fallen angels the same thing? Well, the Bible says there are two different kinds of evil spiritual beings. At least that's our best guess because the Bible mentions them separately. We don't know where demons came from. We don't know what demons are. But they seem to be different than these fallen angels that followed the revolt of Lucifer. Now, the good news with all of this is that at the end of the age, God is going to cast all these evil creatures, these beings, into the lake of fire, Revelation 20 verse 10, forever and ever. All right, now that is the fastest course in angelology you will ever get in your whole life. I went to seminary an entire semester to learn that. And you say, Lon, that's impressive that an entire semester you got five minutes worth of knowledge. Well, <laughs> hey, what can I say, folks? So that's as far as we're going to go in that. But let's talk now about our most important question of the morning, and you know what that is. What is it? You ready? Nice and loud. Come on. One, two, three. Yeah. You say, well, Lon, I appreciate all this information. I mean, it's good, but I don't really see what this has to do with me. Oh, my friends, this has so much to do with you and me. Because remember we said a moment ago in Revelation 20 verse 10 that at the end of the age, the devil 
and all of his evil cohorts will be cast into the lake of fire, Revelation 20, verse 10, where they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. But Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 hasn't happened yet. Friends, the devil and his fallen angels and his demons are not in the lake of fire. Just the opposite. They're roaming the earth and causing as much havoc as they possibly can. The Bible says, 1 Peter 5, verse 8, that our adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The Bible goes on to tell us, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, that Satan is the god of this world. Jesus three times, John 12, John 14, and John 16, referred to Satan as the prince of this world. And in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, the Bible calls Satan the prince of the kingdom of the air. In other words, get this, what the Bible is saying is that in this present age, not only is Satan roaming the earth, but Almighty God has also granted him a certain level of authority here on earth. Now, not to worry, God is still in total and complete charge of how the universe ends up, but Satan has been given authority on earth until the end of the age. And what this means is that in this present age, there is a humongous, there is a daily, there is a worldwide conflict raging all around us behind the scenes. We can't see it, but it's raging between the forces of Satan and the forces of the living God. You know, in one chapter in the book of Daniel, God peels back the curtain a little bit and lets us see just a glimpse of this conflict. Daniel chapter 10, Daniel had seen a vision. He couldn't understand it. He started praying and asking God to help him understand it. And three weeks later, an angel shows up to help him understand the vision. Now watch what the angel says to him. Daniel chapter 10, the angel says, Do not be afraid, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart on understanding this vision, your prayers were heard, and I have come in response to your words. Okay, you understand what he's saying? From day one, when Daniel started praying about help with this vision, God dispatched this angel. Okay, but watch. He didn't get there for three weeks. Why? But the prince of Persia, he says, resisted me for 21 days. The Hebrew word resisted here means literally to block the way, to stand in the middle of the road and not let somebody go by. And Daniel's angel says, then Michael, the archangel, came to help me, and that's how I was able to get here. He goes ahead and explains the vision to Daniel, and then he says, soon I shall return to, what's the next word? Say it louder. To fight against the prince of Persia. And after that, the prince of Greece is coming, and I'm going to have to fight against him. He's talking, of course, about the empire of Alexander the Great, which conquered the Persian Empire in 332 B.C. Now, who is this prince of Persia? 
Well, folks, he is a fallen angel who was influencing the Persian Empire behind the scenes as Satan directed him to. And notice the angel says that every Gentile kingdom has these kind of evil beings behind the scene because Alexander's kingdom coming next, there's going to be the prince of Greece. And so what does the Bible say that Daniel's angel is doing with the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece? You just said it out loud. What's he doing? He's fighting. Yeah. The Bible's telling us here that world history is not as it appears to our eyes. That behind the scenes, it's really an ongoing struggle between God's holy angels and Satan's fallen angels for the souls of men and women and children. Hey, Hitler and ISIS and Al-Qaeda and Boko Haram and the events in Yemen, these things are not accidents, folks. There is a satanic agenda and there is satanic power and there are satanic beings behind all of this. And how else could Hitler take an entire civilized country like Germany, educated people, and convince them to do what they did and to okay what he did? How could that possibly happen without some satanic influence over those people that mesmerized them to follow Hitler. Now, let me also say that as we pray for revival here in Washington, D.C., we need to understand that there is a Prince of Washington, too. We need to understand that there's a fallen angel assigned to this city, and he's a big one. And what is his job? Well, his job is to resist all spiritual revival His job is to keep the people of the city of Washington, D.C. spiritually blind. His job is to promote as much sin, as much evil, and as much impurity in Washington as he possibly can. And his job is to lure as many people away from Jesus as is in his power. And when we pray for revival here in the Washington, D.C. area, we must pray again this evil being. We must pray for God to send Michael to push this evil being back and create an opening where formerly this evil being had a stronghold, now to create instead an opening for the gospel where that stronghold used to be. You understand? Amen. And listen... It's more personal than even that. When we pray for people that we care about to come to Christ, we must also pray against these same evil forces. Listen to what 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says. It says, the God of this age, we know this to be Satan already, watch, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe that they might not see the light of of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So, in seeking to bring our friends and our loved ones to Christ, friends, it's not just good enough to tell them the gospel. We must also pray for them. We must also beseech God 
for them that he would overcome this satanic influence on their life, that he would remove the spiritual blindness from their life so that they can see the light of the gospel and that so that they can understand the glory of Christ. Friends, we do not talk people into the kingdom of God. We pray people into the kingdom of God. Amen. Now, you say, well, Lon, just wait, wait a second. Wait a second. I mean, you're, you're an educated man, right? Yeah. You went to college, right? I did. You went to graduate school. I did. This is the 21st century, right? Yeah. You, you, you don't really believe this stuff, do you? I mean, this is like stuff for the Middle Ages, you know, to scare people. This is like stuff for movies, you know, where little heads spin around. Uh, this, this is like stuff... By the way, I never saw The Exorcist. I just heard about it. Uh, th- th- this, is, this is stuff like, like Halloween stuff. This is like boogeyman stuff. You don't really believe some devils out there wearing a uh, red suit with horns and a pitchfork and got all these. Really? You believe that? Well, I don't, I don't think he's got a red suit and a pitchfork. I don't know what he looks like, but I believe every word of what I just said to you. And let me tell you why. There's just one simple reason. The Bible says it. And that's why I believe it. Pure and simple. And look, I believe there are demons in the world. I believe there are fallen angels behind empires in the world. I believe there's a real being called the devil, Satan, Lucifer. Absolutely. Jesus tells us the truth. And this is what he said. And friend, listen to me. If you don't believe this and you don't protect yourself against this being and his henchmen, he will eat you alive. You better believe he's out there. And you better take advantage of the protections the Lord's given us. Or this guy, what did 1 Peter 5 say? He will devour you. So you trying to scare me, Lon? No. Because I'm going to tell you in a minute the great protections the Lord's given us against him so that we can use them. But I'm just saying, you need to use them. Let me say first, though, if you're here and you've, ne- you've never given your life to Jesus, you're not a follower of Christ, friend, you say, what's my protection against the devil? You don't have one. Pure and simple. You don't have one. You're completely, completely vulnerable to him. The only protection there is against the devil and his henchmen is in Christ, under the blood of Christ, as a child of God in Christ. If you're not one of them, you have no protection, my friend. And if I were you, right after this service is over, I would get myself right up here to the front and talk to my friends down here in the front, and I'd give my life to Christ because I would be scared if I didn't know Christ of this being. Now, for those of us who know the Lord, God's provided three beautiful protections for us from the enemy. And here they are. Number one, the full armor of God. God tells us about this in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 20. He says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God, there it is, that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of who? Yeah, the devil, right. Now, some of the uh, full armor of God is defensive, meaning there is the helmet of Jesus' salvation. There is the breastplate 
of Jesus' righteousness. There is the shield of our faith in Christ. These are defensive weapons, but there are two offensive weapons that we're given. It's one of them is the word of God and the other one is prayer. And folks, this is why here at this church, we teach you the word of God. This is why here at this church, we urge you to memorize the word of God and we do it together. This is why at this church, we try to motivate you to get deep into the word of God and study it hard for yourself. Why? Because it is one of your offensive weapons against the enemy. Matthew chapter 4, fighting the devil personally, Jesus fought him off three times in the temptation in the wilderness by saying, it is written, it is written, it is written. And what was he talking about? Written where? In the Bible. Yeah. And when, the, when Satan comes against you or one of his henchmen, we don't want you at that moment going, wait a minute, I know there's a verse in here somewhere. I've I, I got a concordance. Hold on, I'll find it. You don't have that kind of time? Are you serious? Man, we want you to know it right on the top of your head because we've memorized it together so you can say, no, Satan, I won't watch that. No, Satan, I won't go there. No, I won't do this because it is written. Amen. Now he can't, he can't fight that. And this is why we pray. That's the other offensive weapon. We had a little over a hundred people in the prayer meetings today, uh, in all of our prayer meetings. Uh, we had just under a hundred in one of them. But you know what, folks? This is why we get you together. This is why we get on our knees. This is why we pray together because he is powerless against prayer. And this is why he doesn't want you to pray. This is why you find it so hard to pray. This is why you find it so easy to skip prayer because he's doing everything in his power to get you to skip it. That's where the power comes is on your knees. And he hates what happens in that prayer room right over there before every service. And he hates it at each of our campuses. He hates it with an unholy hatred. In fact, he hates his church with an unholy hatred. If it wasn't for the mercy of God, he would have destroyed this church decades ago. He hates churches like ours. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. My good friend Moish Rosen once said, it's okay to be hated if you're hated for the right reason. Dude, if Satan hates me, I'm thrilled. And if he doesn't hate you, you ought to wonder why. I love being hated by the devil because it means I'm doing something for Christ. Amen? All right. Hey, I go through every piece of spiritual armor in my prayer time in the morning and I put it on one piece at a time. Lord, please put on me today the helmet of your salvation. Please put on me today the breastplate of your righteousness. Please give me the word of God quick on my lips today, Lord. And here I am on my knees in prayer today, God. Honor that. Friends, the the spiritual armor of God is like American Express. Don't leave home without it. Don't you go out there into battle with no armor on? What's wrong with you? Second of all, what is God given to protect us against the forces of evil? He's given us our own guardian angel. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says, Are not all the angels ministering spirits, watch, sent to render service 
to those of us who will inherit salvation. Look, as a follower of Christ, everywhere you go, you have your guardian angel who is assigned just to you. Now, some of us who are more self-destructive may have two angels or three angels, but you got at least one. And he rides next to you in the automobile. And when you're about to get hit, you know, you, we've all had it happen. We should have been hit and killed. He just pushes that car away for us. And he sits next to you at work and keeps the boss away from you. You know, he just uh, passes him right on by over there. And he stays up all night and stands by your bed when I'm up at night having trouble sleeping. I say to myself, my guardian angel's up all night. There's no sense two of us being up all night. I'm going to sleep. Praise the Lord. He's staying up. And what's he doing? He's, yeah, that's right. You may not be able to see him, but friends, the Bible says he's there guarding you against the enemy. Praise God for that. And against all kinds of other things. Number three, and finally, the third protection that the Lord's given us is he's given us the name and the blood of Jesus to resist the enemy with. Hey, in Revelation chapter 12, the Bible says they overcame him, Satan, by the what? The blood of the lamb. And in Acts chapter 16, verse 18, the apostle Paul turned to the little girl, the young girl who had the evil spirit in her. And he said, I command you in the what? In the name of Jesus to come out of her. And immediately the spirit left her. Look, James chapter four, verse seven says, resist the devil and he what? Will that's a promise. He will flee from you. And how do we resist the devil? We resist him by confronting him with the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. We pray against him by the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. And we've got to do it out loud. You got to do it out loud. Because you can say in your mind, blood, blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus, you resist you. He can't read your mind. He's an angel. Remember we said he's not omniscient. He doesn't know anything. You wanted to, uh, to confront him with the blood of Jesus, you got to tell him. You want to confront him with the name of Jesus, you got to tell him. Hey, I ride here every Sunday morning and Saturday night um, and down to Arlington on Monday night, praying the whole way down out loud among other things, against the enemy. And I say to him, Satan, by the blood of Jesus, I resist you tonight. And by the blood of Jesus, I resist you for the Arlington campus tonight. Uh, by the blood of Jesus, I resist you, Satan, for the Sunday morning campuses. And by the name of Jesus, Satan, I resist you and you must flee because the Bible says you must flee. And because you have no power against the name of Jesus. And because you have no power against the blood of Jesus. So goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. Folks, not that I could do that in myself. Are you serious? But I'm using the weapons God gave me. The name and the blood of Jesus. Listen, Satan has never met a name like the name of Jesus. And he's never grappled with a force like the blood of Jesus. You use that. And I guarantee you he will flee. But you got to say it out loud to him. And why will he always flee? Because greater is he who is in us than he who's in the world.
Praise God. Amen. Now, let's summarize. Let's conclude. If I had to give you a one-sentence summary of what I'm saying to you today, it would be this. As followers of Christ, in the spiritual battle that's going on all around us, we need not fear. Why? Because God has given us, number one, the supernatural armor of God to resist the enemy. Number two, our personal guardian angel to fight the enemy. And number three, Jesus' mighty name and blood to repel the enemy. And with those weapons, there is nothing for us to fear. I love what 2 Corinthians 10.4 says. It says, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they are divinely powerful, these weapons are, for pulling down Satan's strongholds. And friends, when we use these weapons, and I encourage you to use them and to pray for your children, pray them away from your children by the name and the blood of Jesus. Pray them away from your grandchildren by the name of the blood of Jesus. Pray them away from your family. Pray them away from your ministry. Pray them away from your business. Pray them away from every stronghold he's got. It'll work. And this is what we want to be as a church. Friends, my goal for us as a church is to be a mighty army who pushes him back in this city. There's a Prince of Washington, and our job is to push him back with the help of the angels that we have with us. And Michael, you know, I said Michael, Lord, I don't care. We're, our job is to push him back. And using the weapons we got, that's what we're out to do. Make a mighty army of prayer. Make a mighty army in the Word of God. Make a mighty army in the gospel. Make a mighty army that knows how to use the blood of Jesus and use the name of Jesus and use the spiritual armor that God's given us. So, that's our goal. Let's take the city. Let's push him. I want him to quake in his red boots when he sees us coming. Amen. That's right. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the protection that you give us in Christ. But Lord, it's not just protection against the enemy, it's also weapons against the enemy that you want us to use proactively, that you want us to use offensively. So Lord, make us a church mighty in prayer who prays the name of Jesus and prays the blood of Jesus over this city. Lord, make us a church mighty in putting on our armor every day. Make us a church mighty in gathering all our guardian angels together with the gospel and pushing into places in this city, Lord Jesus, where Satan has his strongholds. Lord, remind us we have nothing to fear, for greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, and that you will honor the weapons you've given us. They are divinely powerful for tearing down his strongholds. Lord, make us that kind of bold church for Christ here in Washington. And Lord, I indeed do pray that when he sees us coming, Lord, that he would shake in his boots because of the power of Christ that we bring with us. Thanks for teaching us from your word today, Lord. 
May it help how we approach our friends that need Christ. May it help how we pray for ourselves and our family. Protect us from the evil one. And we pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, Amen. Amen.